So you drafted a fantasy football team. Big deal. Ooh, Ooh wow. Oh. Good job. Drafting is only half the battle. A month from now, you're going to wake up, check your team, and see that your three best players are hurt. Now what? You need to play the waivers, make trades, know who to start. And that's what we're here for. We're coming to you four times a week during the regular season to give you everything you need to win your league and dominate your group chat. Search for the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast and subscribe. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like when your fantasy league meets up at your house. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this is anything but a fantasy. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ringer Gambling Show. It is Friday, and that means we're going to be joined by the one and only Joe House. He's going to share some of his bets. We're going to discuss the games, the week two weekend slate. It's going to be beautiful looking at some of the marquee games, a little bit less exciting than last week, but there are still some great things to discuss. And I know, House, you probably are still feeling the electricity from last night's Washington football team win over the New York Giants. I mean, I'm alive. I'm I'm happy to say I'm I'm still upright. I was able to walk up the stairs this, this morning to get to the recording studio. But beyond that, I can't really What am I talking about? I feel fucking great. I am top of the world. Washington against the dreaded New York Giants. That was an unbelievable win. And I really feel like we've been spoiled so far. Think about the primetime games we've had. Like, really no duds. Even though the Rams beat the crap out of the Bears, it was still exciting to watch. But every other primetime game has been unbelievable. And even though Washington and the Giants was like a war of crappy attrition in some many respects, you know, with the mistakes and so forth, it still was exciting, right? It was. And, you know, the listeners at home, just so you know, that... Joe House has his video turned off, so we don't know what condition he is presently in right now. He could be laid up in bed with a hangover after drinking for that last night's victory. But let's go ahead, House, share some thoughts. We obviously know, as we shared on the Monday show with Chris Vernon, that we saw a historic performance by underdogs this past week. Why don't you talk to us about that? Yeah, I want to frame this up a little bit. Um 
I love week one because we just went on 32 first dates. And, you know, it's a modern era. We're in the 21st century here with first dates. So you can look at somebody's profile and you can develop a perspective. Am I going to get along with this team? Is this team going to be nice to me? Is this a long-term kind of relationship that I might have with this team? And then you actually go out on the date with that team and you, 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 you find out something new, perhaps. You underestimated what that team, you know, certain ways that you might mesh with that team. Or on the other hand, you might reach the conclusion, I don't think that I want to see this team another 10 seconds for the rest of, rest of my life. And you, you try and be uh, gracious about it. But that's what, what um, we're, the, the perspective I have going in to week two, right? We have a lot of first impressions and there's only one chance at a first impression in life. And some teams came out and gave us a great first impression. I'm thinking of the Philadelphia Eagles, really out of, out of nowhere, just a wonderful first impression. The Arizona Cardinals, wow. I think we can safely say that Kyler Murray was injured at the end of last season, right? And then some of, some of these first dates, they didn't, they didn't go great. I don't, I don't know if I want to spend any more time with Atlanta. I don't um, think that I need to uh, waste anybody's time with Jacksonville. Kind of anticipated that anyways. Um, And the Minnesota Vikings, it's a wait and see. I'll try and be generous about it, but it's a wait and see. So that's my perspective coming in here. Now, the way the card turned out, there was a lot of unexpected performances, right? Because we had underdogs go 12 and 4 against the spread and nine straight up wins. With that tease up for week two, the second date, is a lot of bounce back. So teams that lose by 10 or more in week one, they come back and cover at a better than 60% clip. Uh, And there are seven teams that lost by 10 or more points. You know, I, I mentioned Atlanta. Tennessee was a stinker. Indianapolis was kind of in that game, and then they weren't. Jacksonville, Green Bay, uh, the Giants, and, and Chicago. And, you know, there's a, a another kind of metric out there, teams losing straight up as a favorite that come into week two as underdogs. They cover at a nearly 70% rate. So the message is let's be careful out there, but it creates some, some, some difficulty because on these second dates, you want to know where is this chemistry coming from, right? Which, which one of these teams is most likely to be the, on, on that, that, that plus uh, value side. So that's kind of the, the challenge that we have coming up uh, with for, for this week. Yeah. Well, I think they flashed up a graphic on the screen last night that showed we've had a historic amount of quarterback turnover around the NFL in terms of teams with new quarterbacks to start the season. We have never in the history of the NFL had that many quarterbacks start games for new teams year to year. We obviously have a number of new head coaches. We have a number of new play callers and offensive coordinators in new spots. So there's going to be a learning curve. And that is why we have to spend a lot of time and focus on opportunities this week and be selective and be judicious about what we're looking to wager upon because there is a tendency in any year to overreact to a one game sample size. I always tell people, and this is the thing that, you know, a lot of the statistical folks find difficult to process and think it's ridiculous, but 
It's obviously served me very well and the guys that I work with on the professional betting side of things. Uh, And the NFL is a small sample size sport. If you can't remove the sample size issues that you have with, uh, you know, typical data and be willing to say, I'm going to use what my eyes are telling me, what my instincts are telling me and what the limited data is telling me to make a judgment and be willing to live or die with it uh, based upon the small sample size, then this isn't the sport for you, right? Like this is inevitable that you're going to have to deal with it. That said, there are a lot of overreactions in week two, and we're going to dive through that. Um, I do want to talk briefly about the sharp point of the week last week. So House, why don't you tee that up for us? Yeah. So we talked about uh, primarily the difference between last season and this season in terms of, of totals, point totals. And you cautioned last week that, that the, the point total experience of last year was very unlikely to be replicated in the 2021 season. And we went through a bunch of factors why you mentioned, especially the, the crowd noise, um, element and the impact that that was going to have on the efficiency of offenses. Well, lo and behold, unders came through. I believe the the week was 9 and 7 to the unders if if I'm I'm doing the math right. Am I right about that? That's correct. So this past week 9 unders hit in week 1. The prior 3 years no more than 7 unders hit. We've seen more than 9 unders hit only one time since 2010 and that was in 2017 so uh this obviously was a really good year for week one unders yeah so underdogs and unders in week one (laughs) the question i have for you is does it chart a course for us going into week two are there takeaways um there or do we just say this is like a, a trend that we monitor when we're going to just sort of let it let it play out. I mean, are there are you drawing any conclusions at this early stage? Well, there are a couple of things notable. Number one, we definitely saw a distinct increase in holding penalties, and holding penalties do help drive the productivity of offenses. So we saw offensive holding at a much higher rate in week one than we saw week one last year, but still lower than what we saw in week one on average in past years, but it was definitely higher than last year. Obviously, there were a number of games where we saw the influence of the crowd. We saw crowd noise and we saw false starts or critical pre-snap issues with the clock winding down and timeouts having to be burned. Uh, plays not being audible incorrectly uh, to, to to set up a more optimal play call by the offense uh, quite quite often. So that was definitely a factor that is going to carry over. We're going to continue to track these holding penalties to see if that continues to carry over. That said, we did see an average total this week an uptick of about one point from what the average total was last week when we saw nine unders hit. So the average total last week was higher than in the past by a couple of points. We saw nine unders hit. The average total this week is now a point higher than that. It's almost, I think it's now two full points higher than what the average week two total was last year. So it's going to be interesting to see how these games on average play out. And what I have always warned is, Nobody should be risking a 
significant portion of their bankroll just widely betting broad trends across the NFL. Oh, I'm going to take all the overs. I'm going to take all the unders. No, you can't. Just because there might be an angle to attack does not mean you broadly attack everything. You still have to target what your most optimal positions could be and attack right there. Well, so that's the perfect segue. And I want to convey my thanks. I I hope we're doing this early and often this 2021 season, Sharpie. Uh, You helped me target a couple of games on the slate last last week. And I ended up I ended up with a card that had nine total plays on it. And I went five and four, which is, you know, just above 500. But importantly, plus eight units because I went heavy on the Rams and I went heavy on the 49ers and I comboed up the Rams and 49ers and I played the Rams spread and I I had the 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 good fortune to catch the Niners at seven and a half when I when I played it so the Niners covered that off as well and then we talked about on on the show that the Texans over in that Jacksonville game and you know the 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 disrespect that the Texans uh, offense was getting they were able to move the ball at will against Jacksonville and then uh, Trevor Lawrence uh, pretty pretty respectable uh, debut the the Jacksonville Jaguars also scored. Uh, a few couple of the losses, just very quickly, If I, I was disappointed um, in the Ravens. The Ravens were up 14 points, and the Ravens were, were up a touchdown with six minutes left in that game. And it's apparent that their defense is not up to Ravens standards uh, yet. And, and maybe this is the year where they, the, they just can't overcome the injury bug. The injury to Marcus Peters looks super uh, material. And they had absolutely no answer whatsoever to Darren Waller, so I was disappointed um, in, in that one. And and the other the other losses were totals, but that's okay. I mean, we're we're just gonna there's gonna be some losses sometimes. Um, so let let's set the stage for, for for this week. I mean, I'm excited. Look at what we have. Speaking of the Ravens and my disappointment in them, the marquee game undoubtedly is the Kansas City Chiefs at Baltimore. We're we're teed up with the line. Opened at, at the Chiefs minus two and a half. It's all the way up to three and a half now. And my question to you, my first question, am I overreacting with respect to my disappointment in the Baltimore defense? I don't think you're overreacting, but the issue becomes their habitual desire to blitz with cover zero. And that makes you a little bit more predictable. And can we, if can I, I want to just interrupt you for 10 seconds on that point, you know where I got the, the, the very best iteration of this I've ever received in my life. And I never expected it. The Manning brothers. Did you watch that broadcast? I did. It was phenomenal. Much better than this traditional. I'm not going to watch a traditional ever again. I don't know if the Manning brothers are teed up for all uh, the entire season. I thought maybe they're. I think only they're doing... like ten. Maybe yeah, something well, like that, that. that's a ten out of ten for me. I'm in on all of them. I couldn't enjoy it more. But they made this point that you're sharing, and I interrupted you on. I learned so much about Cover Zero. Yeah. So the Baltimore Ravens are a team that utilizes a lot of heavy blitz packages. And they try to do that in order to get pressure. And it's not something that they dial up once in a while. This is Wink Martindale. Wink Martindale is their defense coordinator. They led the NFL in 2018 in blitz rate when he first took over defense coordinator. They led the NFL in 2019. They led the NFL in 2020. And they're leading the NFL 
in 2021, okay? Individually, every single season, they are the most blitz-heavy team in the NFL, and they play man coverage behind that. The issue becomes when you play a quarterback who can elude the pressure or at least buy enough time in the pocket, you are getting a lot of guys running in man coverage down the field, potentially away from the covering cornerback that's on them. And you can hit some of these bigger plays. Now, it's also going to result in a lot of sacks, a lot of pressures, a lot of throwaways, a lot of incompletions if your defense can get there or disrupt the quarterback, pressure him in some capacity. And of course, they are blitzing that the leading the league means like about a 45 to 55% blitz rate the last couple of years. So that means that, you know, there's still a good 55% of the time when they're not sending these blitzes and they're playing traditional coverages behind that. But the problem in this particular game against the Kansas City Chiefs is they're going up against not only the best quarterback in the NFL over the last several years since he entered the league, but potentially all time against the blitz in Patrick Mahomes. Now, some quarterbacks might sit there when they're being blitzed and simply get the ball away quickly or try to run down the field, like avoid the pressure and just start running. But Patrick Mahomes, if you look at what he's done the last three years against the Baltimore Ravens, he's historically not run very much at all against this blitz. Now, we took him over rushing yards in a prop against the Cleveland Browns, and he easily achieved that, and that was a nice winner. But this game, I'm not looking at Patrick Mahomes rushing yards over. It's likely that he is going to just backpedal and get the ball out quickly and or avoid the pressure in the pocket long enough so that his guys have enough time to separate from the guy who's trying to cover him in man coverage and then hit those guys in open space down the football field. Keep this in mind, the longer that a defender is trying to cover an offensive player in man coverage, especially a speedy wide receiver, let's say, the more difficult it is to keep that distance close. You know, you start off at the line of scrimmage with a certain amount of separation. And as this receiver knows what he's doing and is making the cuts and the running the route that he's designed to run, sometimes the defense can mirror that, but it's less likely that he's going to stay as close to that receiver deeper down the field or further into the route or the scramble drill that will occur if the quarterback is running out of the pocket. So, Mahomes buying time, being able to throw from all platforms, being able to throw on the move really helps him against the blitz. And that's why against this defense, he's completed 48 of 63 passes when blitzed, which is a 76% completion rate, 8.8 yards per attempt, six touchdowns and zero interceptions. So that is absolutely going to be a big factor in this game house. Yeah, I think that's pretty good. The thing that I'm really fighting against is you know, on a macro trend basis, and you mentioned it, everything has limited sample size, but Lamar Jackson has never beaten uh, Patrick Mahomes and, and the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes has never lost a game in September, which is just absolutely insane. And, you know, there is this whole thing of, of um, extra rest for the Chiefs and under Andy Reid, when there's extra rest, you know, there's, they have a great record with Mahomes as, as the starter and they um, play well. The thing that I don't like is the hook. Um, I tried my best to jump on the Chiefs at minus two and a half. The Chiefs, even though it's it's on the road, it will be the Ravens' home opener, and I have plenty of respect for uh, Harbaugh and the Ravens' organization. They also have a very good record in September. Um, I just don't 
I can't come up with the thesis for how they are going to slow down the Chiefs. And so anything less than a field goal feels right to me, having not moved quickly enough to jump on it when it was two and a half, which was like for 10 minutes on Monday morning last week. Uh, I mean, this week. Um, is this a circumstance where you buy to the three or you buy under the three? Okay, so a few things. I do want to break down the game a little bit more, but to answer your question directly, never buy under the three. You ne- never want to buy through a key number or off of a key number. The time when your money will be well spent spending points, buying juice rather, is to get onto the key number, to, to get onto the push of a three if they happen to win by three. You don't want to buy off of the three to two and a half. So I never advise doing that. The same is true for a seven as well. Um, now, in terms of the number itself, before I break down one more element of this game, in terms of the number itself, you were able to get that two and a half for a while on Monday before they pulled it off the board and the Ravens played Monday night. And in fact, a couple of sharp betting groups, and 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 just to give you guys some uh, understanding here, like I'm not, I don't approach this. I haven't been doing this for twenty years without having connections and contacts. Right, the longer that you are in this game, the more you get deeper involved in the inner workings and the people that matter and them reaching out to you for information, you getting information from them. And so I've developed, I mean, that's one of the best things about my journey is developing these relationships to be able to get access to such great information. There aren't that many people out there who speak publicly that are able to share the level of information. So I can just tell you that, A, you don't have to be smart or connected to think that, hey, maybe the Chiefs minus two and a half would be a good bet on Monday before the Ravens game kicks off. Uh, but B, of course, these guys did bet that. And that line uh, obviously reopened at three and a half afterwards and then was bet up to four and then came back down to three. couple things to mention about this game still quickly. Um, the Cleveland Browns spent all offseason building personnel on the defensive side to deal with the Kansas City Chiefs offense. That's all they devoted their efforts to. Getting pass rush, getting players in the secondary. How can we limit Patrick Mahomes? And despite doing that, yes, I know they had the 22 to 10 lead, I think, but despite doing that, look at the Chiefs' drives. The first drives, until they punted late in the game and and, and Cleveland weren't was not able to uh, convert and win. The Chiefs had a field goal, a touchdown, a punt, a touchdown, a field goal, a touchdown, a touchdown, and their drives were 76, 60, 37, 80, 33, and 75 yards. So they were highly productive offensively against a defense that was operating at full strength that had brought all these people on board and who somewhat reasonably knew how to play these guys, right? The strategy was also something that factored in here of this defense against the Kansas City Chiefs offense. The Ravens' strategy seemingly is a poor one. Continue to blitz Mahomes, who happens to be the best at the blitz, but we're going to keep blitzing him because that's what we do. I do not think that that is a very good strategy. Then you look at this last element with the matchup itself, and that is what Baker Mayfield did in the game against this Kansas City Chiefs defense. Baker Mayfield had the number one most aggressive passing uh, performance of the weekend. 
By that, we're using player tracking data to discover when a quarterback is throwing into really tight windows, really tight coverage. He was number one in aggressive rate. He threw 32% of his passes into these tight windows. He also had the third longest target depth in the NFL. So he's pushing the ball down the field extremely aggressively into tight windows. And you know what the result of that ended up being? That could, that's a, like it's an interesting combination to be that aggressive and 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 that far down the field and it could easily go sideways quickly. But he had the number one completion rate above expectation of any quarterback in the league last year. So he was brilliant in that game. As much as I love Lamar, and you know how I love Lamar Jackson, I think you that do. he is you love Lamar. very underrated um, in terms of what he was doing at various points in his career. H- has has the um, has he jumped the shark in terms of being a little bit too overrated after the uh, what was it the fifty and O MVP uh, voting season a couple a couple of years ago? He still needs to continue to work. I'm not. I'm certainly not saying he is perfect, but there are just so many haters and detractors of Lamar Jackson out there that I kind of chuckle every single time he has a good performance and makes these guys mad because I think they legitimately just don't like him. But at any rate, which I don't think you should ever dislike a player just because that's who this player is. But at any rate, that all of that aside, as much as I love Lamar Jackson, that is not the type of quarterback he is. We aren't going to get the type of performance from Lamar Jackson that Baker Mayfield did. In fact, Baker Mayfield probably is going to struggle to replicate that type of performance again in the future against this Chiefs defense. It was just an unbelievable performance that he had. Deep passes, tight windows, really high completion rate above expectation. But that is not what Lamar Jackson does. All of that said, it certainly said, and, and then and then let's also factor one more thing in here: the injuries. The injuries are brutal. Yeah. The Ravens just lost their tackle Ronnie Stanley, um, who's going to be out this week. That's going to force. Alexander Villanueva over from right tackle to left tackle where he played right tackle. They also lost their left guard, okay? They're dealing with a number of issues on that offensive line. We already know their backfield has been ravaged with injuries. We already know that they're without their top receiver that they drafted in in the draft who is going to help expand this passing attack a little bit. And then on the defensive side of the football, you hit it perfectly. It's one thing to go up against Derek Carr, who just wants to target his tight end, time in and time out and time in and time out, 19 targets to the tight end last week. But, you know, this now you're facing a Kansas City Chiefs offense that targets more players than just Travis Kelsey. And you are without Marcus Peters. You are now without a guy, a defensive back named Chris Westy got, Westry got a lot of run last week. Now he tore his meniscus, so he's not going to be in the game as well. So they're just dealing with so many injuries. But here is the hesitation house and what makes this game absolutely fascinating. Speaking with a sportsbook director, the number one bet that he said he personally would make this week of the entire card, and he took the Raiders as his number one bet last week. The number one bet he would make this, so so going against the Baltimore Ravens, taking the Raiders on Monday Night Football. This week, it's the Baltimore Ravens. He has said that 95% of the money from the public and some other people are lining up on the Kansas City Chiefs here, but his sharpest sharp bettors 
are holding this line at three and a half because they're taking the Baltimore Ravens. So it's a really interesting predicament. Do you go with the matchups? Do you go with the injury? Do you go with the past performance? All of which points solely to the Kansas City Chiefs having success here. Or do you back the bookmakers and say, they absolutely need this game for the Baltimore Ravens to keep this game only to a field goal. I'm going to ride with them instead of the betting public. Okay. Well, everything that you just laid out obviously runs in in one direction, and that is the, the Chiefs, which means we need to run in the other way. I mean, that's exactly what we've learned over years. It's what the week two data suggests. Um I'm going to run away altogether. I'm not going to play this game <laughs> because, you know, I, I think it's better to just sort of sit tight, let it shake out. Maybe something tiny on like a Baltimore money line thing, right? Just There something. are other ways. There are You could do that. There are other ways to play the game too. I think we you, it's Sunday night football. People are probably going to want to play this game. I just want to suggest that let's pretend you listen to our conversation and you don't really, you're just like yourself, House. You you got mixed emotions after hearing what I had to say about what the books really need and all the things that line up for the Chiefs here. And so you don't really know what you want to fire on. You could fire on player props. You know, will, will Patrick Mahomes beat this blitz at least? Will he have, you know, more than two and a half touchdowns? Will uh, the Chiefs score more than their team total? Player props. There's a lot of different ways to bet a game. Um, oh, of course, you only want to bet if you think that you have an edge. Uh, but maybe Baltimore does get the cover here, but Patrick Mahomes is still able to do what he what he wants to do offensively. So it's a very interesting uh, way to attack this game. Well, I'll sit tight and see how things look Sunday afternoon because I'm nothing if not a square better. And I'll, I'm sure that my card will have some opportunity for where I'd like to, you know, maybe do a little bit of recovery. But the player prop and the team total angles um, are, are enticing. I, I, like, I like both of those. And we'll just see where they land uh, come Sunday afternoon. Um, I had a whole sort of dance card prepared for this week. And then stuff happened over the course of the week that is uh, un- unfortunate. My number one A-plus favorite game of the entire week was the Dallas Cowboys getting three and a half at the Los Angeles Chargers. The, the Cowboys um, have extra rest. The Cowboys took it to Tampa. Dak Prescott looked awesome. The receiving core looked awesome. The Chargers have absolutely no home field advantage whatsoever. I don't understand why um, you know the line is, is three and a half points and then Demarcus Lawrence broke his gosh darn foot on Wednesday at practice we're talking about practice practice, practice Sharpie god damn it and you're quoting one of my favorite basketball players of all time I love <laughs> well, AI obviously AI. Georgetown boy you know I'm, I'm you know I'm an AI guy he's just right here from the from the district is that absolutely right but look man uh it it hurts me um to, to have that, I still want to ride with Dallas. I think Dallas might end up with the home field advantage. I think there are people in Los Angeles that root for the Dallas Cowboys. I think the line should have, like, the Cowboys should be favored. Um, and I know that that um, Herbert had an unbelievable game last week against Washington. Incredible efficiency. Um, and he's, he's poised for both big things this season and big things his entire career. And the, the, the Chargers had a third down conversion rate that seems uh, 
unlikely to be replicated for the rest of the season. I think they were like 14 of 19 or some ridiculous yep. number like that. And 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 Dallas, you know, they played opportunistic defense against Tampa. They created turnovers and then they they actually, you know, they created balls in the air and then actually turned those into turnovers. I was impressed by that, but the Lawrence thing just just guts me. Uh I still want to roll with the Cowboys. Um tell me what to be nervous about. I, I think their defensive strategy here, um, look, what was concerning, you watched the Washington game last night. Washington struggled to get pressure um, despite a crappy offensive line of the New York Giants, despite Billy Price playing the center, who was gone from the Cincinnati Bengals. He was so bad. And now he's starting at center and you're still not getting pressure uh, against this terrible line that that's concerning because that's the Washington front. And I know Washington, the defense, all of that type of thing, but you're, that's who the chargers went up against last week. And still what they were doing on early downs caused me a little bit of distress. You mentioned the third down conversion rate, which is unlikely to continue. You're, you're right. I mean, Justin Herbert has been spectacular in the past on third down, but talking to Benjamin Solak on the Wednesday show, which, you know, you guys are subscribers of this feed. That's why you're listening to this show. I, you know, you got to go and make sure that you're listening to that Wednesday show. It yeah, should I, be must-listen TV. I, yeah, I, I just have to tell you right now, I'm jealous. Speaking of first dates, I mean, I know he's younger, he's smarter, he's more handsome. Just just promise me you'll stick with me through the end of the year. That that's all I ask. I love each of you for your own strengths. So <laughs> that I I I absolutely uh like Tony Soprano, like I I'm willing to like have my own separate worlds of 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 uh of podcast buddies and, Thank and you, you, for that. you command like your own space and will not be replaced. But with regard to Justin Herbert, the thing that you got to be concerned with is the strategies they were using on these early downs, as Ben said, were more designed for like a uh, Drew Brees because Joe Lombardi came from New Orleans and he's now the offense coordinator for the Chargers. They aren't taking advantage of the things that Justin Herbert can do on these early downs, which is deeper drops, more play action, throwing the ball down the football field. He just had a 5.8 A dot, which on these early downs in the first three quarters, the 12th lowest in the NFL. He averaged only 5.4 yards per attempt, a 48% success rate, was only 18 of 33, threw an interception, zero touchdowns. His EPA per pass attempt was minus 0.27, which is terrible. And that's all despite the fact that he was pressured at a below average rate. This is unacceptable. This is like Anthony Lynn type bullshit that we are finding ourselves in too many third downs. Justin Herbert and this receiving core and this offensive line cannot be allowed to sit in this style of offense any longer. Now you're playing against the Dallas Cowboys team whose pass rush is weakened, as you just mentioned. They've got to push the ball a little bit more down the field on early downs. They've got to avoid more of these third downs. I'm also very interested to see what happens on the other side of the football because we know that there was a little bit of criticism. Oh, well, the Dallas Cowboys are running the football a little bit too much. You know, that that can't sustain. That can't throw all these passes. Yeah, if you ran the ball more last week, you wouldn't have even come close to winning that game, which they came close to winning that game. There is no chance in the world they had to go to the pass against such a good run defense. That's why I'm curious, will they go? He, uh, Dak, 
Prescott checked out of 12 called run plays into pass plays against the Bucs based upon the look. I hope he does the same thing in this game. Passing, obviously, as you know, I love it. Far more efficient than running Zeke. I don't love Zeke necessarily. I don't think that he has this high upside and ceiling that everybody recalls from his early years entering the NFL. Um, so I think this game's going to be fascinating. The one element in this game uh, to note that I don't think enough people are talking about, Brandon Staley does not have the same personnel it, with the Chargers. He's now their head coach as he did with the Rams last year as their defensive coordinator. But week one, Last season, the Dallas Cowboys played in this very stadium against the LA Rams. And that game was an interesting, slower back and forth. I mean, they had Dak Prescott. It was week one. It ended up not being as high scoring or as exciting as I think a lot of us wished it would have been. Um, now, Jared Goff was quarterbacking for the Rams. That could have played into it. The Rams have a had a better defense in 2020 than they do in 2021, but it's irrelevant what they have in 2021. We're talking about the Chargers. The Rams 2020 is better than the Chargers 2021 defense. Um, but, you know, maybe the Cowboys learned a little something from that matchup against Brandon Staley, and maybe they're going to attack this defense in a little bit different ways. So I think it's going to be a fascinating game. I'm really looking forward to it as well. I will say from a betting perspective, multiple action coming in on the Chargers early in the week at minus two and a half, and then they kept laying it at minus three, which A, should tell you something about how strong that position was. They still wanted to buy it even at the three, but B, that's why it's at three and a half right now. I personally leaned in your direction. I was looking to back the underdog uh, in this spot. Some of the injuries obviously are very concerning, however. Yeah, I'm going to lay off. I might do something tiny. It doesn't really make me happy to root for Dallas, to be in the position of having to root for Dallas. It's just when I saw this line earlier in the week, I I, I really couldn't come up with the the uh, articulation as to why it is that the Chargers were, were favored as though they enjoy a home field advantage. That was the part of it that confounded me. It looked like it was, it was, I mean, there's no such thing as mispriced, but it just felt like, w w why are we giving the Chargers home field advantage here? Well, how does that make any sense? So that one's a, a, a stay away. Another one that I looked at that feels like it, it could be informed by an overreaction in both directions relating to both teams is Chicago at home and their home opener. Uh, favored by only two points against the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, the, the the Bears looked mostly terrible against the Rams last week, although they were kind of in it for a bit. They they were able to rush the ball, interestingly enough, against the, the Rams. Um, and, you know, after that Rams performance, I'm not so sure that, um, you know, it was a, a, as much a function of Chicago being a bad team as uh, the Rams, you know, being the Super Bowl contender that we kind of argue for. Now, look, I bet the Rams. I laid the seven. I loved it. And, and the primary reason was because of Andy Dalton. And that is still the case here. But laying less than a, a, a full field goal against a Cincinnati team that really relied on a self-destruction by the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, 12 accepted penalties by the Vikings. The Vikings um, running an offense. I listened to the, you know, the show with you and Solak is, is so good. I will, I will stop. I'm gonna, it feels like a cheat code to be able to listen to it. But Ben was talking about how 
um, dissimilar the offense that the Vikings, the approach they took with Kirk Cousins was from previous years and, and, and a game plan that runs away from all of the things that Kirk Cousins is good at. Action, short drops, and, and you know, he still has a, a formidable uh, receiving core. So that uh, outcome with Cincinnati winning in overtime, maybe sort of having us think that Cincinnati is slightly better than they, they um, might really be, and Chicago looking so bad Sunday night against uh, the Rams you know, kind of shortening up the line. So I like the Bears in this position, only laying the two. What do you think? Yeah, briefly, um, I could tell you once again, very sharp money came in on the Cincinnati Bengals this week as it did last week. Last week, it came in closer to kickoff. So it was, you know, when they do that and 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 slip those things in, they don't have as much of an influence over the line. And so it wasn't as noticeable closer to the kickoff. But Cincinnati, very sharp at post last week. Here, it's they got out early because the line was three and they wanted to take advantage of it. But now that it's at two, it is very interesting to me. Chicago was trading punches a little bit. Like that game wasn't as comfortable, I think, as the final score may have indicated. I want to say that the uh, the Rams scored the final 20 points or something and made the game look like a blowout. But for a little while there, even despite Andy Dalton not once not once, attempting a pass of longer than 15 yards. They never really scared this defense of the Rams. They never really pressed this defense of the Rams. I hope that they modify a few things. They are going to be able to have a little bit of success running the football. And I think that that's going to be able to help them in this spot a little bit. I have not bet this game at all. I'm still digging into this game. Um, But I I absolutely, at, at the current number and with the current information that we have, there's no way you could get me to back the Cincinnati Bengals at this spot. Um, I would be looking at Chicago or pass at the very moment. Okay, good. So uh, that makes me feel good. That's a, that's going to be a play on my card. I am going to play on Chicago. So now the game that feels like the my, the my the, the one with strongest conviction for me this week is the Philadelphia Eagles at home against the San Francisco. 49ers are getting three and a half points at home. And, you know, the 49ers came out with an eight point win over the Lions uh, last week, but also came out of that game really dinged up. Mostert's out, uh, Jason Barrett out, both guys out for the for the season. The thin secondary at San Francisco really couldn't uh, uh, tolerate losing uh, Verrett anyway. So, uh, you know, the Lions came back down 38 to 10 and came within 24 yards of a game tying touchdown and 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 homeboy uh golf looked awesome i mean for for about nine minutes there in the fourth quarter um elijah mitchell was a little bit of, of a breakthrough but the main reason that i like this position for the eagles is i watched the entirety of their game against the atlanta falcons and the eagles offensive line is formidable the eagles want to run the ball they, you, you and Solak hit this on Wednesday. They put Jalen Hurts in the very best position he could be in, which is an average depth of target. The there you A go. dot. See, I'm learning stuff, Sharpie. He had the 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 shortest uh, A dot of, of the week, right? It was under four yards per attempt, and that was very sensible for for Philadelphia. And they have all these weapons on the ground. It's clear that they want to move the ball on the ground and control the game on the ground that way. 
And I, I think they're going to be able to do that against this San Francisco 49ers team. What, what's your sentiment? Yeah, I don't disagree. Um, this line currently, as the time we're recording this Friday morning, is the San Francisco 49ers minus three with reduced juice. At some spots, it's even money, which means to take the three, you're generally having to, to take the three with the Eagles laying minus 120. Um, yesterday, we were able to get on uh, the Philadelphia Eagles at three and a half. And that was a recommendation given out to uh, subscribers over at sharpfootballanalysis.com. And as always, I will tell you if we've already gotten on a game previously, and I'll also tell you if you want to beat the line moves and and ride with us a little bit, which we went six and three last week, you could do that 30% off. Use the code SHARP30 over at Sharp Football Analysis. But my general take house on this game and why I like the Philadelphia Eagles in this spot is, is quite straightforward. One of the interesting things about this game, first and foremost, is that the 49ers stayed in West Virginia at the Greenbrier, which have you ever been there, House? I have not, but I want to get down there. Great golf course down there. I have not either. They got bunker down there. I've heard it's incredible. Anyways, that's where Casino. they were staying. They, they could they, gamble if they wanted. They could. They could. Um, and and hopefully they've been studying for the Eagles because I think they're going to need that. But but they absolutely did not go back to San Francisco. They stayed out on the East Coast. Well, I don't know if that's considered the East Coast, but they didn't have to travel that far. East enough. East enough. You're not going to have to fly very far to get to Philadelphia from here. Um, and so that's a big benefit to them. Um, so don't listen to anybody who's telling you that this is that tough travel spot for them. But what is going to be difficult for them is if you watch that game against the Detroit Lions, just like we're talking about the Chicago Bears, that game was not nearly the blowout for most of the first half as it might indicate, as the scoreboard at halftime at least indicates. That was a 14 to 10 game that the 49ers were leading the Lions with four minutes left before halftime. Then Jared Goff throws a pick six. Then there's another uh, another touchdown and I think a field goal and goes into halftime, something close to like 31 to 10 or something along those lines. But that was a very close game through most of that first half. And why was it close? It was close because the Lions were able to run the football on this 49ers defense, which is one of the things that the Lions needed to do because why? They don't have receivers. They needed to run the football here. They have no receivers. They were targeting tight ends and running backs at a super high rate during this game because they don't have the receivers. The 49ers defense allowed 4.8 yards per carry, and ranked fifth worst in the NFL in EPA per run play allowed. In the first half, the Lions gained 5.6 yards per carry on early downs. How's that going to translate? Well, the Eagles had the NFL's number one rushing attack in week one in terms of EPA per attempt. The 49ers are going to probably get run on a little bit by this front of the Philadelphia Eagles. But the Eagles actually were not just a run-based team last week. I don't think people realize this because they had a big lead, and so then they turned to running the football late. They passed the ball on 75% of their first downs. That was the third most pass-frequent team in the first half in the NFL. So they were going past, and Jalen Hurts was obviously unbelievable. The criticism of him, though, House, when you're talking about target depth and air yards 
is that, oh, well, he's throwing short. You know, this is something, this is not a big play offense. He's throwing short. That remains to be seen. It was our first date, as you greatly alluded to, with Nick Sirianni. Is that because this is what the offense is going to do and just throw everything short? Or was that because they're playing against Dean Pease, the defense coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons, who typically has a high blitz rate and very complicated defensive coverages in the secondary, and Philly could just take advantage of the short, quick passing offense and be very efficient. Jalen Hurts on first downs in the first half, 14 of 15 passing, 8.3 yards per attempt. Yes, he was throwing short, but you're gaining 8.3 yards per attempt. He had a plus 0.54 EPA per attempt, 73% success, two touchdowns, no interceptions. I'll take yeah, that. Yeah, listen to how excited you're I'll, getting. I'll take that all day, every this day, is, and twice on Sunday, baby. That is yeah, efficiency. That's, that's, Sharpie, that's Sharpie passing porn right there. That's unbelievable. You know, the funny thing to me watching that game, and I know this point about P's, they they were running, and I don't. You Solak probably knows the name of the actual defensive coverage, but it was like a delayed blitz, right? It was a half a beat. They were bringing those stunts around. Philly picked up every single one of them, and to me, the most impressive thing about Hertz is how many times he made the right decision of taking advantage of of the blitz that Philly could easily pick up. Yeah, he was playing very well, and I think it was just the coaches putting him in a great position to succeed. It's going to be interesting how they design things against this 49ers. As you mentioned, they gave up runs. But now they're getting really beat up in the secondary as well, losing Jason Verrett. They're, they're signing guys off the street. Just before the season, they signed Josh Norman. Now they just signed Drake Kirkpatrick. I mean, they, they don't have the cornerbacks to deal with an offense and look at what the Eagles have. I'm not suggesting that we should overreact to Jalen Hurts. But here's the last point I'll make on this, and it's all about reaction to the market and lines and everything like that house. This line in my book that I wrote this summer that I sent you, and you can flip to the chapter on the Philadelphia Eagles, and you can look, I don't know what page it is, probably 320 out of 462, as to what the Philadelphia Eagles line was on this game in the summer. And at a time when everybody hated the Philadelphia Eagles, I can't tell you any a single person that I interact with that said, oh, the Eagles will be better than fourth in the NFC East. Everybody thought this team was going to be bad. I even heard professionals who do this for a living suggesting that the Eagles are going to lose to start the season, and then they're just going to tank the rest of the way. As if their GM is not on the hot seat, as if they don't have a lot to prove this season after last season, as if the city of Philadelphia is okay with a team losing like this in the NFL. I mean, you think those fans back in the stadium would have been like, okay, this is a great idea. Hell no. They've already got a lot of first round draft capital next year, especially if Carson Wentz plays. They're going to have three first round draft picks next year. They don't need to tank for more. What they're looking to do is build something. Now they're not set to run to the Super Bowl this year, but let's pump the brakes a little bit on thinking that this team is going to be trash. But at any rate, last, this past summer, fourth place in the NFC East. What were we talking about the San Francisco 49ers? I picked them to uh, make the playoffs. Everybody thought that this team was going to be good. I think that they got a good shot at potentially making the Super Bowl. This is a team viewed as cup half full, if not overflowing with two quarterbacks and the quarterback redundancy. The Eagles were viewed as 
a team cup half empty, you know, yeah. worse than that. And I, yeah, what was I that line? To, you need to help me because I already, I need you to help me hedge the under seven win total that I bet on the <laughs> Eagles. <laughs> well, yeah, let me go so back to that. What guess. was the line? Yeah, Tell me what guess. you think it was. Let me try and guess what that line was. I bet it was San Francisco minus six and a half. That would have been my guess. It was San Francisco. You're close. I mean, it's you're at least under seven. It was San Francisco minus four. Oh, wow. Okay. And do you know what they opened this line at? San Francisco minus three and a half. A half point adjustment after everything we saw week one for the 49ers versus the Lions and everything we saw week one for the Falcons versus the Eagles. I, 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 I did not think that that adjustment was enough for the Eagles to still be catching over a field goal at home. That's why I think that was the intelligent play. Obviously, that was the way that the sharp money has come in. That's why the line is down to three. And we'll see where it goes from here. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the fans because I think the link is going to be absolutely insane. I think that the people of Philadelphia, when they... Jalen Hurts is is very much, you know, has that 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 work ethic that uh, the guy, that the Philadelphia uh, fan group absolutely... Uh, uh, can connect with, and I they, they, I can tell you from my own experience, the Eagles fans in my life, they are very, very, very enthusiastic about this Eagles team. So I think it, that place is going to be rocking on Sunday. I don't disagree. What else you got on your card house? I only have one other thing, and we can do it super quick. Um, it is, I, I was looking for an overreaction opportunity, one that that might sneak up on folks. I don't love this, but I thought that we put it on here because I, I had to pick something. I have to pick a first date that didn't go great where I thought it was, there was really going to be a connection. Uh, and I want to give that, that, that date a second chance. I want to give this team a second chance. It's Tennessee, uh, catching five and a half points at Seattle. Now, after the performance that Tennessee put on at home, a home opener as the, you know, prohibitive favorite to win the AFC South, a team that's been in the playoffs that Vrabel, uh, you know, has created this this uh, very competitive identity for to absolutely lay a a a stinker of an egg against the Arizona Cardinals, letting Cardinals do whatever they wanted. Kyler Murray looking like an early season MVP contender because of the way the Tennessee showed out, and and you know we already knew the Tennessee defense was, was is limited. Um, and they haven't done really anything to improve it. But on offense, they looked absolutely lost. Was Arthur Smith that important to this offense that they uh, had no ability at all? It looked like the Ryan Tannehill of three years ago, four years ago. So this is a situation where I'm just looking at um, you just just you know the the the, the unlikelihood of of Tennessee, and I want to know what the Tennessee identity is. We just talked about the Eagles at home. This is Seattle at home with the 12th man, a genuine home field advantage. So, you know, I don't, does that translate into three and a half points uh, for Seattle? So um, is there extra two points with the, with the five and a half? That, that's really it. Um, you know, there is this weird just macro stat, stat for, for Seattle. It's a favorite of five or more since Russell Wilson's been in the, the league. Seattle's only 30, 31 and two against the spread. And six and fifteen against the spread since 2017. So when they're a bigger kind of favorite, they 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 don't tend to cover it. Um, and, that, and that's really it. I just was looking for an overreaction kind of opportunity. 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this offensive line performs with that crowd noise in Seattle. They obviously struggled at home. Taylor Lewan's coming off of an ACL tear. So that was his first game back. He was getting abused by Chandler Jones, but also by like tiny guys like Buda Baker. So he he really was not in the most uh, optimal game-ready shape. Uh, they don't have the pass rushers like that in Seattle. That said, there's going to be the crowd noise element that's going to be harder for him to hear the snap counts and everything along those lines. Um, I don't have a strong opinion in this game. Uh, obviously, the line has shifted towards the Seattle Seahawks here, and the over has been coming in. I, I don't know. I do tend to think that, you know, the Seattle Seahawks, the quarterback, the style of offense that they're going to play, very similar to that of what Tennessee's defense struggled with. And I do think Tennessee's secondary absolutely stinks. Um, yep. All of that being said, this is not a total that I'm looking to go over. Um, I, I have not done anything on this game whatsoever. Uh, so I don't have a strong opinion one way or another here. I, I just put it on the card looking for an overreaction um, opportunity. Yep, it definitely that, that is. Really is. It definitely all, is all a spot. It, it amounted to. And I, if I might do something tiny on it at most. I know you have um, some thoughts on, on another game. I know that there's another one you're looking at. Let's share it. Well, unfortunately, the game that I was looking to identify um, as we are recording this podcast, I am seeing that Will Fuller will not play for the Miami Dolphins oh, on Sunday no. due to a personal matter, which is really interesting. But mm. w I was looking at that game and I mentioned some of these numbers on the show uh, with Solak, but the Buffalo Bills have torn up this Miami Dolphins defense historically. Why is that? And why will I think the Buffalo Bills passing offense get back on track? The Pittsburgh Steelers got pressure on 39% of Josh Allen's dropbacks last week, despite sending pressure on only 2% of dropbacks. So you're keeping guys in coverage and you're getting pressure without even sending people, that's difficult for any quarterback to overcome. And as a result, Josh Allen tended to struggle against the Steelers as he's struggled against that front multiple times now. That's different than what Miami does. Miami's defense is not built like that, as Ben alluded to. Uh, they're going to be without Raekwon Davis, their best interior pass rusher. They don't have the edge pass rushers that the Bills and their offensive line are going to be concerned with like they were with the Pittsburgh Steelers, which will allow Josh Allen to have a little bit more time in the pocket. And Buffalo is going to, sorry, Miami's going to have to pick their poison. They tend to blitz a lot and play cover zero behind that. They're going to be blitzing Josh Allen, who is really good and his wide receiver should be able to get open against this secondary due to some of the matchups and the success that they've had historically. And when you look at what the New England Patriots did, you can say, okay, well, is this Dolphins defense improved at all? Maybe they've learned something last week. Maybe they're going to be a little bit better. The New England Patriots last week played this Miami Dolphins defense. And the New England Patriots have a rookie quarterback and very few wide receivers, right? They spent all their money upgrading at tight end. They used the second most snaps from 12 personnel. And they threw a bunch of passes out of 12, and they were generally terrible against that, against the Miami Dolphins. But when the New England Patriots trotted out 11 personnel, which is three wide receivers, despite the fact that their wide receivers aren't very good, I mean, their wide receiving talent really in New England is not very good. And they've got a rookie quarterback. Mac Jones goes 18 of 21 
for 9.3 yards per attempt. So 21 passes, only three incompletions, 9.3 yards per attempt, 67% success, plus 0.62 EPA per attempt. I don't know what Miami's doing here in this game defensively, if they're going to completely change their strategy. But for three years now, they've done the same type of thing. And Josh Allen has had success against it. Maybe they dial up something new this offseason. Maybe they're going to try to play like the Steelers did. But that is what Ben Solak said. They're not going to have success if they try it because they don't have the personnel to execute that type of scheme. I just think this is going to be tough. I was initially looking towards the over here. Just be candid um, with regard to kind of my thoughts on this game. Because in one, in part, I thought, after being suspended for week one, we are going to get Will Fuller in week two. And he opens up things so much for an offense. Think about how good Deshaun Watson is as a quarterback house. Yeah. He's one of the best in the NFL. We haven't seen him this year, obviously, for, for reasons that reasons. everybody knows. For reasons. But his splits with and without Will Fuller are enormous. And that's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. So think of how much that would impact Tua, just having Fuller out on the football field and dictating to the defense and having to get coverages skewed their way. He is not going to be there this game. So that is going to make me cool a little bit on this total. But this is what we have to do as we're handicapping games, as we're looking to bet games, we're waiting for information. I was looking to wait on this game because the under at 48 and a half was very sharp. They bet they bet under 48 and a half. They bet it again at under 48. So that's why the line at most spots is 47 and a half right now. Uh, to be determined what I end up doing with this game, but I do think that there are distinct edges for the Bills offense to look a lot better than they looked last week against the Steelers. Yeah, that 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 uh, conversation you and Solak had, and then about especially how the Steelers were able to bring pressure that uh, the um, the Dolphins are unlikely to be able to replicate. Um, that was uh, very convincing. I uh, don't have a feel for that game, but you mentioned Mac Jones and the incredible performance. I have a couple of exotics. If I may be, uh, I'll do them. I'll do them quickly. You know, I can't quit the money line parlay. Um, now this one I put in early in the week before the Lawrence news, um, came out. I love the Dallas money line this week. Um, and so I just have and the, one other aspect of this, this, I'm, I will con confess up front. Um, I'm playing Denver at minus six against Jacksonville until we see something out of the Jacksonville defense that suggests that they can, uh, you know, make a legitimate, um, game changing stop anytime the Jacksonville uh, is getting less than a touchdown. I'm betting against them. I mean, we had this conversation last year. I told you I wanted to play the Jacksonville money line uh, against them, but Jacksonville money line all year last year. Mm -hmm. And I did it the first week and they, they beat the Colts. <laughs> well, now, now I'm pivoting to any time that, that Jacksonville is getting less than a touchdown. I'm going against them. So the money line parlay, that's not a real money line parlay is the Broncos minus six at minus one ten. the Patriots minus two forty five against the Jets and uh, Dallas plus 140. Now I'm sure that number's up um, since when I bet it. That's a plus 545 uh, parlay. Um, and, you know, uh, I'm already in on it, so I'm not going to move off of it. But help <laughs> me, I, I, I'm interested in, I, I, I'm also, I also played this teaser. And last week I hit a five-leg teaser. So here's the five-leg teaser that I have. I have the Bears plus four. I have the Steelers plus a half. I have the Broncos down to pick them. I had the Patriots down to pick them. And I have the Cardinals up to two and a half. That five-leg parlay pays out, you know, at plus uh, 450. 
who amongst that team of villains, that that cast of villains, is going to mess this up for me? Oh gosh, you know I I don't like in principle teasing across the zero a, a team at least I know. at least with the Bears. I mean, again, this is the I I feel like um. I'm I'm commending a kid that stole a car for not you know crap my my kid my uh, seven year old who stole a car and drove down the road for avoiding running into the mailbox or something <laughs> like to, with with giving you this but at least you got Chicago to plus four through the three on this the the Arizona Cardinals here I think that one is is uh is one where the you know that game is we're talking about you were liking the Jacksonville Jaguars uh or fading the Jacksonville Jaguars going with the Denver Broncos you have them in the money line parlay at 6 and you have them here uh that's a big overreaction game from last week same is true for the Arizona Cardinals against Minnesota you're not going to get a team that looked worse versus a right. team that looked really good um so that is one that would be concerning i do think the New England Patriots at at at, at on the money line here that is something that might be incorporated into uh, Moneyline Parlay. I think it is going to be is a game that that they absolutely are looking to get. They should have won the game against the Miami Dolphins. Starting out 0-2 would be absolutely brutal. I think Mac Jones plays well against this defense. I think the game the Jets played, uh, the scoreboard was not indicative of their performance last week. I think Carolina did really well in that game. Um, so that's probably the favorite element to this Um for me, I think you get the Steelers in a great situational spot due to the Raiders playing on Monday night in overtime and having to fly all the way east to play one o'clock. So that angle on that game makes sense. But I'll tell you what, the Pittsburgh Steelers have been known under Mike Tomlin to blow and drop games that they should have won. So I really dislike this teaser, but I absolutely hope that it hits for you. Um, there are some, I know, I know when you look at it on the surface, it looks square as hell. And it also looks yes. bad style to go through the zero. Right. And you're doing a lot of overreaction to what you saw last week. But if you're going to do it, might as well go all in, roll it all up into one teaser and see what the hell happens. Yeah, and it's just a tiny little play. It's just for fun. It's just a little yeah. bit of an exotic thing. We don't play to lose, but look, this this week absolutely is an abs is a is a one hundred percent. Let's be careful out there. Week. I don't know the the listeners out there are are old enough to remember Hill Street, Hill Street Blues, but it always ended with with let's be careful out there, and that's my admonition for this week. That's it, and that'll do it. Thank you for listening. We'll be back on Monday with Chris Vernon to break down everything that we watched on Sunday. Thanks again to Joe House for joining me and to Mike Wargon and Craig Holbrook for producing the show. We will see you guys on Monday. Enjoy all of your action this weekend, and good luck.